Well, good morning. Uh, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount series, we're going to be in cha- uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 12, going through 29. We'll focus heavily on verse 12. Um, and then we see that Jesus kind of summarizes everything that he has said, uh, begins to happen to us in the gospel truth, that when we place our faith in Jesus, the fact un- with an understanding that we are created in the image of God, that we are created to have community with him, that we walked away in rebellion, but Jesus lived the life that we could not and died the death that we deserve and rose to defeat all that is defeating us, that we might be by grace through faith brought back into community with God and that that would begin to transform us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us who he is, what he's come to do, and what that looks like as it transforms us. And as we come to a close on that, Jesus summarizes that in a a new, fresh way as he's trying to bring everything together. And then he gives us really a decision to make. It's almost like an invitation that Jesus gives us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But before we get there, I know some of you, I can already see you leaning over and saying, uh, there's, there's something new on the stage. Um, and we've never here, I've never used anything but just a music stand. Um, but this is actually really special to me. One of our members um, made this out of, uh, when, we were, uh, when we purchased the new location, we were walking through and a lot of stuff was left in this 100-year-old building. Uh, Haynes Brand actually built it for their employees. And so we were kind of weeding through all the things that they left, and we found multiple old stands. We have no idea how old they are. We know they're old. Um, and we, we kind of took different parts of the, the, the podiums, and one of our members, Lee Plunkett, if you know him, uh, just give him a big thank you. Uh, he put those things together, and one of the reasons that I love this uh, is that it it's took something that was beautiful but old and made it into something new and beautiful. And, and our desire is that as we move into this historic building in our city, that we would be able to carry on the tradition of the gospel going forward as it has of old, but bring it into the community that is now in a beautiful way. And so, um, so I'm extremely thankful for this, and, um, and, and I, just, I knew that there was an elephant in the room that I needed to explain that, okay? Uh, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, starting in verse 12. And as Jesus is summarizing the, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and truly what he's saying, as I said, is here's who I am, and, and here's how that changes us. There's a deep reality that we need to understand this morning, and, and I've wrestled with uh, this message, and even this morning, just in the first service, just barely saying anything that I had written down before to, to say, um, just feeling like sometimes you, you can kind of come up with different things and different ways that you really want to present something that, that's, that has handles and that can be held on to and, and kind of walks us through the story that God is telling us and, and brings about this beautiful conclusion that we can all walk forward in. And sometimes the Word of God just kind of hits you like a ton of bricks and you're not really sure how to express it, but the truth just needs to come out. And uh, there's this deep reality that I, that I desperately want for us to understand at Redemption Hill Church. And that is that Jesus truly does change everything. He doesn't leave us the same. He's not just something that we believe in. He's not just something that we add to our lives in hopes that it will be better. He, he is everything that we were created for. He's everything that we need. And when we place our faith in him through his power everything changes into everything that we have ever longed for. And our joy is found in that surrender. Our joy is actually found in upside-down ways than anything that we seek joy in in the world around us. It sounds absolutely crazy to say that you are set free by putting yourself in surrender to another. That that you find yourself when you lose yourself, that, that you find salvation and wealth and value and meaning when you discover that you're poor in spirit and there's nothing you can do to save yourself, but Jesus has done everything. That there's freedom and understanding that I'm broken and sinful and I mourn that sin 
And I'm grateful and humbled by the reality that, that Christ has taken it upon himself. And now I, I desire through his power to be new and to, and to be the true identity and self that I was created to be, to live in the truest sense what it means to be human and to know that that reality is to glorify God in everything that I do. That's what true humanity is. And now I want to pursue righteousness. I want to pursue what is good and what is pure and hard. And I want to be a peacemaker in everything that I do. As Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount and says, this is, these are the Beatitudes. These, this is what my gospel truth does in the heart of one who surrenders to me. You find the blessed life in the place that you least thought it would be. Because we all kind of think, man, what, what is the blessed life? As the Greek philosophers would call it in Jesus' day, what is the supreme good? What, what brings me joy? What brings me pleasure? What is the one thing, if I could boil it down, that, that I could place everything in? It, it's the treasure. It's the center of my life. And, and if I just pursue that with all that I am, then certainly I, I hopefully will find true joy. And Jesus comes in and says, true joy is found in me. And I radically change your life to be able to walk in a happiness and a joy that's found in, in, in me and that your value is in me, your purpose is in me, your meaning is in me. And nothing can take that away, that you no longer have to look to circumstances and what you have and what you could, might lose to find what you were created for because everything you were created for is given in me. And that allows us to radically view the world around us and people around us in a different way. It allows us to begin to experience joy. And it, and it comes in a way we never would have thought. And, and so Jesus is wrapping this up. And, and this is another one of those ways where it just is like, what do you mean this is what brings me joy? Because if I'm just defining joy, we did this earlier in the series. If I'm just defining joy and what would bring me happiness, I'm going to think about just naturally things I don't have. Things I'll have but I want more of. Things that I desperately don't want to lose that I do have. This is just the natural way of thinking. It's what can I get more of? What do I not have that I need? What do I have that I need to get rid of? That's what's keeping me from joy and pleasure and goodness. And Jesus says the summary of the blessed life can be summed up like this. Verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That whatever you want someone to do to you, the blessed life, the understanding of the gospel truth in us is put on display. Not, not that by doing good to other people, we would earn our salvation, we would please God, we would impress God, that we would that we would be blessed of him because we're a blessing to others, but because we have been blessed by God's work, because our hearts are being transformed by him, then revealing the trueness of who we are and we're created to be is where joy is, not having to be fake, not having to act like we're something that we're not. Not having to worry about what other people think about me because they might find out that I'm a phony and that I don't have it all together and, and that I'm not as satisfied as I want to be and, and I don't have all the things that I long for and I don't really, if I'm honest, think I ever will because nothing I've ever gotten has ever pleased at the level that it promised it would and just being able to be set free as the person we were created to be in God, the truest and greatest joy is then to reveal Reveal our true identity with honesty. And for people to be able to see that there is a savior and a kingdom we were created for that will not be found on planet earth, but in Christ I am set free and I no longer have to worry about what I'm gaining and what I'm losing and my circumstances determining whether I'm at a high or a low, but I have a joy and a peace and a rest and a hope that cannot be taken because it's in one that is not me and it's not found in my strength and he has already accomplished all that is required. 
What else would bring me greater joy than to live a life of revealing who I am rather than trying to use and gain what I'm not like the rest of the world around me? And when we look at this, which is known as the golden rule, most of us have heard of this. Most of us have been taught this, this golden rule that we've been called to. How does it actually bring us this kind of joy? And so I'll give us a little bit of background. I do want us to look through this text together, but I just, I just feel this desperation today that none of us would walk out of here without understanding there's salvation in Jesus. And none of us would walk out of this place believing that he doesn't change everything we are and everything that we do. And that in giving him glory, we have the greatest joy. And if we are not placing our life in him, we will never have what we long for and were created for. And if we are not following him, believers, then we are not who we think we are. This is what Jesus says in this text. First, he summarizes with the golden rule. And and a little bit of history on that. I, I love this idea The golden rule has actually been around in some way, shape, or form for a very long time, even before Jesus. We'll see that in just a moment. Jesus does bring this nuance to it. But we get the term, the golden rule, and oftentimes I kind of wondered in my life, why do we call it the golden rule? And and I would kind of say, well, it's the greatest rule, and we're going to see how that's true. But also, many people would say that we actually get the name, the golden rule, from the second century Roman emperor named Alexander Servius. And, and he wasn't a believer. He, he was just somebody who was taught this, and he heard it over and over. And because he had heard it over and over, he believed that this was just the greatest truth to live by. And he began to actually put it on different buildings, important buildings all throughout the Roman Empire. And it said that in his chamber, in his home, he actually had this verse etched in the wall in gold. Hence, we have the golden rule. Now, I believe that it is truthfully the golden rule, not just because it was etched in a wall in gold, but because it truly summarizes the truth of the Old Testament and everything that Jesus has done for us in the gospel truth. And as Jesus has given us this this understanding of who he is and what he's come to do and how it begins to transform our lives to bring us this joy. And we've talked about all of the ways that Jesus fleshes this out. And if you've missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen. But he sums up how are we to be free in Jesus with this radical statement to give, be willing to give everything and in that you're free. To be willing to give everything that you are in me and you will have joy. And it feels so opposite of everything that we naturally believe which is the reality of the gospel truth. And so let's look at the text together. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 12. Jesus says, so. He's summing up again everything that he has said to this point in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so he gives this summary, and then he's going to give us three opportunities to wrestle with, will we follow him or not? And he says, beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing by uh, inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, are grapes gathered in thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit nor, or bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? God, did we not believe? 
Did we not show up to church? Did we not say that we were following you? Did we not show up to small groups? Did we not learn Bible stories? Did we not confess our belief? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like their scribes. So Jesus gives us this summary of of what does the gospel truth transform us into, this life that is blessed, this this happiness that's not circumstantial. It's put on display and revealed in living out your true humanity to be able to say, I have everything in Jesus, therefore all of my life is to reveal him and not to gain what I do not have of his creation. My joy is not found in what I can get or have or might lose, but it is found in Jesus. And I display that by being willing to give everything to reveal the goodness of Jesus. And then he lays out this invitation of sorts. And and here's what I want us to know. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this at the beginning as we get into this. We are going to want to and have time to wrestle with whom we will follow today. And, And I first want us to understand how Jesus sums this up. What does this look like in our life? And so when we look back at verse 12, This seems really similar, like at first glance, if you were here last week, Jesus made another statement last week. He said, we are to measure other people the way that we want to be measured. And when you just kind of read, measure others the way you want to be measured, it looks awfully like verse 12. So it's kind of like, is Jesus adding anything new here? Is he just kind of saying the same thing that he said last time? Um, you know, is he just reiterating something? But, but there's a nuance here that we need to see. There's a nuance even to the people who would have been hurting it. I heard it, hearing it in the first century. I, I said at the beginning that this had been an idea, a thought, a, a belief that was around for a long time in some way, shape, or form, which we'll see in just a second. Before Jesus. And so everybody in the audience in the first century when Jesus is giving the sermon, they would be aware of this saying. And so they're not going to be mind blown by Jesus just giving some kind of new information, but they are going to be mind blown for a different reason. It's this nuance. It's what Jesus is saying. This is the way that you long to live, desire to live, were created to live, and this is the way that you do it. You have heard this before, but you have been unable to live in the fullness of joy and unable to determine how you are to actually live in community with God and community with one another. So there's this nuance there. And he's talking about last week this discerning of self and others. Right, And so knowing who we are and being able to see other people in light of what Jesus has done for us so that we can discern to, to, to judge in a way that is loving and truthful and we're walking together as equals, uh, equal in value, equal in worth, equal in our sin and brokenness, equal in our need for God's grace, walking together in truth and love, not condemning one another in judgment. But then what Jesus is talking about here. Is, is taking action towards other people based on who we are in Jesus. Not based on what other people do for us. Not based on what we get from them. But because of who I am, I live out a certain way to put that on display. There, there's something that we say all the time here, we haven't said in, in a while, but it's who we are determines what we do. So if you want to know who you truly are, look at your actions, look at what you do, and that will show you what is truly in the heart, not just what I say I believe, not just what I say I like, not what I say I want to be, what is my activity, 
And that doesn't make me something, but it reveals the something that I am. And so Jesus says, I want you to understand because of who you are in me, what it looks like to act, to put that on display. How we demonstrate the freedom and joy that we have in Christ is by loving other people the way that Christ has loved us. And so that means because it is who I am, when I go home, I am not looking for certain things for my wife to do or my kids to do, for me to love them well, for me to be joyful to be with them, for me to see my responsibility as a father and as a husband, and to see my responsibility as, a, as one who disciples them into the greatest treasure that they could ever place their life in. And so I never want to squander the opportunity because who I am is who Jesus has made me to be and what he has done for me defines me. And so when I go home, I want to to reveal that in everything that I do. When I go to work, it's not about my successes, though it is good to succeed. It's not about how much I make or my title or my position or, or how people see me and how they look up to me and how they listen to me. The reason that I go to work when I understand my identity in Jesus is to do the very best that I can and great if all the good things come to me. But my purpose is that those who work with me would see the love of Jesus through me, that they might know there's something greater than this job that we find life in. And if you're looking for life in this job, it will fall short. My purpose then when I go to school is the same. When I go to the gym, it's the same. When I go shopping, it's the same. When I go to the coffee shop, it's the same. In everything that I do, I'm wanting to find freedom to live out who I truly am by revealing the goodness of God who has defined me by salvation through his grace, through his work. And, and listen to me, what Jesus is saying when we read this whole passage is there is no compartmentalization of your faith. That wherever we go, we are following him and finding our identity in him and revealing him. Or we are walking away from him and finding our identity in other things and revealing that we have a need that only he can fulfill. There is no way to be on both teams, both paths at the same time. Who we are will always be put on display. So Jesus says, I, I cannot just be a part of you. And yeah, you might prophesy in my name, you might believe my name, you might come to church, you might do many things in my name, but if you have not surrendered to me, if I am not defining you, if you are not finding everything you are in me, and it's not affecting everything that you do in every way, everywhere, then I never actually knew you. And man, those, those words have haunted me this week. There, there were times this week when I was sitting back in, in my chair writing and I just had to take a pause and, and, and sit back and I just thought to myself, and listen, I'm not, I'm not speaking this truth over you. I'm not saying that this is where you are. But this, this truth, this, this word from Jesus hit me like a ton of bricks this week. And I just had moments where through tears, I just wondered to myself, Jesus, does anybody, do any of us really love you? And I know it's his grace that we're saved. And so I immediately have to teach the gospel to myself. That it's not my works, it's not my love, it's not my good deeds, it's not how great I follow him or how much I love people or whether I miss the opportunity at the workplace or the coffee shop. It's all based on Jesus' love and his good works for me. But because he saved me, I long to live for him. And when I'm not, I'm not in the joy that he has created me to experience. And I just, I read those verses and I'm just going, I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at the church. And I know so many people who say that they believe in Jesus. And I look at our lives and I just think to myself, is it a reality at all? 
When I look at our passions, when I look at our schedules, when I look at our, the, the, the treasures that we have, the time that we have, and I know, I know that for most of us, we're not meaning to, we're not purposely doing it, but just because we're not intentionally devoting ourselves to the things of Jesus, we're devoting ourselves to the things he has created, and by default, our activity is revealing that we're not trusting in him for everything and that we have a need. I've got to be a part of this. I've, I've got to work this extra time rather than re- developing my family and revealing the gospel to them and, 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 and being active in the church body and revealing him together into the world around us. I don't have time to be missional. I don't have time to do all of these other things. And I'm just looking at our hearts. And this week I've just spent a lot of time just in prayer, just asking Jesus, God, would you break our hearts for you? And I know maybe there's some people in here this morning that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And my deepest prayer for you is that today he would awaken your heart to who he is, that he is everything that you've longed for. He's everything you need. He is your savior. He is Lord. He is sovereign over your life, that the joy that you long for is found in diving deeper and deeper into him. But I also want you to know it's not just a decision that you make. It's not just, well, Jesus sounds like, man, that might be good to add to my life and I'll show up when I can and be a part of his people when it's convenient and I'll say that I believe and I'll do the right things and I'll try really hard. It's not that. You need to count the cost. I want more than anything for you to know Jesus and surrender your life to him. It is all that you want, but count the cost. You are not adding him to your life. You are giving him your life. And if you are not a believer in here and you know a believer and you look at their life and you say, I don't see Jesus there, then God forgive us. But God awaken us to the reality of your mission and your purpose and the identity that you've given to us. That we might not compartmentalize our life and say Jesus over here and this over here. But in everything that we do, we would be revealing Jesus. That many people might know him and we might experience the joy that only comes in him. So Jesus is saying, look, it's all of me or nothing. There's a path that is in me and there's a path that's away from me. And listen to me, there is no fork in the road. You are not on pause. You you cannot look this way and say, do I go this way today or this way today? Tomorrow I'll do the Jesus thing. The next day I'll do this thing or this is really convenient today. No, you are on the world's path or you are on Jesus's path. And the only way off the world's path is for Jesus to reveal himself to you and pluck you off of that and put you in him that you might walk in the freedom that only comes in him. And the challenge is that we would walk in that, but he wants us to examine our lives because if we have placed our faith in Jesus, the revealing of that, the summary of the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the summary of a transformed heart is that I no longer need to gain, but I can reveal in everything. I have everything in Jesus. So to be the true me, I want to do for others what God has done for me. See, this is the golden rule. And I said earlier, and I want to give us this little bit of context, that that this Jesus was not saying something entirely new. And so historically, we know that this common idea have been around for hundreds of years. Philosophies and other religions, they all give weight to this. So Greek philosophy for 100 years from Aristotle, uh, Muhammad talks about these things. Many man-made religions talk about this this type of idea, this this searching for the supreme good. Or or what do we do to pursue God and to please him? And how how are we supposed to work to get salvation? So religions that that tell you to work for something, they have had this idea. This is the supreme good. 
philosophies that have told you that you need to work for something to become what you want to be. They've had this idea. This is the pursuit of the supreme good. But here's the difference that that Jesus makes, the nuance that's so unbelievable, and it's brilliant in the way that Jesus does this. And I want us to know this. A lot of times, obviously, Jesus is God, and a lot of times we just see him as a good teacher and a loving person, but he was brilliant. His words we need to listen to. Because see, all the previous teachings, and you can look these up in all the other religions, all the other philosophies, hundreds of years to Jesus to now, all of them are given in the negative form. Now Jesus comes in, and so they're they're given like this in some way, shape, or form. Don't do things to people that you don't want them to do to you. And that's certainly, that's a tall task. Like, we can do that naturally, but it's very difficult. Like, it's a, it's a higher level of maturity than just kind of treat others any way that you want to to get ahead. So there is on some level this desire in that to fight against our human tendency to destroy one another. So, so it is difficult. Makes total sense that in man-made philosophies and religions where we're really trying our hardest to, to get somewhere and to gain something through our activity that we would require that higher level of maturity and we would need the resolve to work there as hard as we naturally can. So that makes total sense, but it actually falls completely short of what we want and are meant to experience both individually and in community. And I'll quickly explain to us kind of these levels of maturity that we have in the world and then what Jesus is nuancing in. Again, you can kind of look these things up on your own. I'll just kind of summarize them. But essentially, there are three uh, different levels or rules of maturity that we typically will find ourselves in. And you'll be able to see these in you, and you'll be able to see these in the community around us. The first is the iron rule. Sometimes it's referred to as the bronze rule or the wooden rule. It's this whole idea that might makes right. This is the lowest level of human maturity. Might makes right. Do not do for others what they can do for themselves. So this is the whole idea of everybody needs to pull themselves up from their bootstraps. In the church, it sounds a whole lot like God helps those who help themselves. Not in scripture, by the way, but we have this idea of I really need the things that I have. I know that you are in need, but I feel like, you yeah, know, I'm going to rob you of a blessing from God if I help you. So you need to help yourself and then God will help you. So this idea kind of infiltrates us at every level. It also produces the foundation for the idea of tit for tat or I'll do unto you what you do to me an eye for an eye. Or, or even I will give based on what I have to, to kind of receive something. This is our modern definition of love, which isn't truly love. I will do this for you because you're meeting this need for me. And this is where the whole idea of falling in and out of love comes from. If you stop doing that for me for long enough, then I will fall out of love for you. And I'll have to find someone new to meet my need and my desire. It's not actual love. Love comes out of who we are, not who the other person is. It's a, it's a decision. It's not a feeling. And so we, we guide our feelings by who we are. So we might give to different things, but it's always to gain. And so I know some pushback every time I'm talking about this with different people in coffee shops and different kinds of things is that, well, there's lots of people that just give of themselves. But the reality is, if we are not completely set free and satisfied in who we already are, then no matter, everything that we are doing has some level of and desire for personal gain, a feeling, a feeling we've done something good, right? It's not just because it is right out of who we are. It's because we feel we need to, to become something or feel something we do not, And this is what that level of maturity falls into. We see it all the time in kids, don't we? Like you watch children play on the playground or something. Within five minutes, one of them is going to yell out something like to another, 
you're dumb. And the other one is immediately going to go, you're dumb. Right? Or you're going to tell your kids, hey, you need to share your candy. Their immediate response is going to be like, well, they didn't share with me last time. Right? So, so we see this all over the place. Now, unfortunately, most people have never grown out of this state of maturity. This is where most of us live. We live in this me culture. Now, we call it powerful and enlightening. It's, it's all about me. But what it produces, listen to me, is the lowest form of human flourishing and community. And that's what we see today. This constant need for things. This constant need to be lifted up and to tear others down. If you hurt me, then I'll hurt you. And it works the other way too. If somebody comes up to me after the service and says, I love your sweater, I'm immediately going to think to myself, "Mm, I love your haircut. I did not think about your haircut one time until you liked my sweater, but because you did something for me, I felt I needed to return the favor. You get home today and you say something really negative about my sermon. I won't do this because I want to practice what I preach, but you know what I'll feel like doing is returning the favor. Right? This is how we naturally live in our sinful and broken hearts. It leads to cancel culture. It leads to what social media has become. It was not set out to be this, but it's what it definitely has become. Leads to gossip and to slander. All of the things that we hate. See, our pursuit of me is bringing about the things we hate, and then we're fighting it by diving deeper into ourselves, and we're just finding more and more ruin. But this is where most of us are. Secondly, we have the silver rule. This is a higher form of maturity. It it does require intention. It's not natural for us, but we can do it and work towards it naturally. This is where every philosophy of humankind and man-made religion exists. What is the highest form of natural ability for us to do that is good? The silver rule. It comes out like this. It has different shapes, but this is how it comes out. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Or what we popularly say today is, do no harm. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Whatever you do is fine, and you can be who you want to be. You can do what you want to do. The litmus test is, who else is it hurting? And if it doesn't hurt anybody else, then it's okay. It's totally fine. Who is it harming? Who is it hurting? And this is how we define what is good. So it sounds like the golden rule, kind of. It does fight against, as I said, that human tendency for destruction. But there's a big difference between a negative statement and a positive statement. There's a big difference between actually loving you and being indifferent towards you. There's a big difference between not doing something that causes suffering and doing something that brings life. There's a big difference between saying, do not oppress the poor. That goes a long way. But it's different than bring justice to the poor. There's difference in in saying, do no harm. That is great. But that's different than saying, love your enemies. See, there's a big difference between not doing something and doing something. And what Jesus is pointing out here, which is deep down, none of us want to live in the iron rule. None of us do. We understand, like we want life. We want people to give life to us. We want to breathe life into others. We we desire that. We know it's because we were made in the image of God. And that in him, we can begin to pursue that. We all desire it, but naturally, none of us live into it. And so we try to develop these higher levels of maturity to to try to strive towards. But then Jesus comes in here and he says, if you are in me, then you can freely live in the way that you've always desired but could never attain. 
That, that everything you were created for to experience in communion with him can begin to reflect in communion with one another and the world around you. And it's not by your work, but because I have set you free. And because of who you are in me, you can begin to reveal that in every relationship that you have. Thus the golden rule. It is the highest level of human maturity. It's what every single one of us was created for, but it's something that cannot be done naturally. It requires you to understand I am free from being enslaved to anything in the world. And here's what you need to know. If your treasure is something in the world, you're seeking life in anything in the world, then you are enslaved to it. You are trusting it to provide, and you will do anything it asks of you as long as it promises it will do what you need, but it will always fall short. Jesus sets us free by placing our faith in him to know life and to experience joy that doesn't get touched by our circumstances or the things we have or the things that we don't have. So we're truly free now to live out, as I said, that true identity. In other words, my joy comes in reflecting who I am in Jesus into the life of everyone around me or do unto others the way that you want them to do to you. So see, this is a brand new teaching. Jesus is not just ripping off something of old for his own to really powerfully end his sermon. He's giving this nuance that nobody had ever heard. He said that everything he has taught about the gospel truth and who we are in him is lived out through this new identity revealed and it really changing everything. Here's what he's saying. Jesus really does change everything about you. He sets you free to live as you were created to live. And in him, I am able to live in such a way where I cannot lose what I have because it is not about me and my work, but what he's completed. And even deeper he says, when in Jesus I can give, and when I do, I actually experience the deepest joy because I'm learning in my revealing of Jesus and the joy that I have in him who fulfills me in all things. When I give up something that I might have the tendency to feel I need, I'm actually diving deeper into the comfort of the one who completely satisfies. So the more I give, the more joy I experience the more dependent I am on God. So therefore, in this world, when I began to see injustice because I was unjust towards God and he saved me, I don't just say, thank God it's not me. I don't look at the world around me and the injustice and think, well, I didn't do it. But I look and say, I was unjust to God and he saved me, so therefore, I will bring justice where there is injustice. I, I don't think to myself, man, I, I am misunderstood and I just wish that somebody would just understand me. No, I know that I was misunderstood because I didn't know even who I was, but Jesus has revealed to me my true identity and now I am understood in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone as nobody else can understand me. And so I assume that others are mi being misunderstood and I say, if I am misunderstood and would want somebody to understand me, then I will look to understand others. If I want to be encouraged, then I'm going to look for ways to encourage others. If I'm lonely and I want a friend, then I'm going to go and be a friend. If I feel rejected and I want to be loved, then I will go and love someone else and listen to me. If I want to understand that Jesus is everything that I need and Jesus has revealed himself to be everything that I need, then in him I want to go and share the good news of Jesus with everyone. See, this is how the gospel works in us. This is what freedom looks like. And you are not free if you're holding on to anything and saying, I can't let it go. And it's fine to have the things. It's a blessing if you're using it to reveal. But it's a curse on you if you're treasuring it as life.
And Jesus says, if you are in me, the revealing of the gospel truth hitting your heart is that you do unto others the way that you want them to do unto you. This is the golden rule. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, do unto others what I've done for you. See, Jesus fulfilled the golden rule, yet while we were still sinners and we did not deserve, he came down and lived for us. He died for us. He rose to defeat sin and death so that we can be set free and live in the joy of our salvation. And there's this popular opinion today that Christianity is just kind of like this list of rules that we have to follow in an otherwise free world. If we could just get rid of this conscience and this idea of God and religion, then if we could just shake that, then everything would be okay. But in reality, everything we want and the freedom we pursue is only found in him. And here's how Jesus ends the entire sermon. And so I'm going to summarize a whole lot of verses in just a few minutes. He says, this is the truth. And you have a decision to make. And he gives us these three metaphors. First, he says there's a gate and one is wide. And naturally, you'll want to be on that, that gate and in that gate. Nobody's going to look at you weird if you're in that gate, on that path. Nobody's going to be surprised to see you there. Everybody's going to be pursuing like you're pursuing and gaining like you're gaining and fearing loss like you're fearing loss and You're all just kind of in this thing together, seeking self and life and and what is good and what is supreme and what will bring me happiness and how can I get out of fear and have confidence and hope for the future. But nobody will be shocked you're there. And, And you'll be encouraged and you'll be championed no matter how you show up on that path. But Jesus says there's there's also this narrow gate. And it's, it's narrow because we can't take our other treasure through it with us. He won't allow us to bring anything in our surrender that would hold us back from the joy that he has for us. It's narrow because he's the only way. There's, there, there's a thousand counterfeit ways on the wide, through the wide gate to try to find life that will let you down and fail you. But he says there's one way. It's, it's me And I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. I'm the door that you can go through. But it's hard because I'm the the only one. It's it's narrow because I'm it. It's hard because you couldn't do it on your, your own. I had to do it for you. I'm the only one that could do it. It's narrow because you can't bring all your stuff through. It's hard because you have to surrender everything that you are. But this way leads to life and joy. It just looks upside down from everything you would naturally pursue but this way looks good and easy and you just kind of follow your heart and do what you want to do, but it will lead to death. And here's what Jesus says. What path will you decide? What path are you on? Then he says, listen to what you're being taught. Listen to what is forming you. What, what teaching is forming you? What truth are you believing says so there's false teachers out there in the church and outside of the church. There's different worldviews. There's half gospels. There's, there's just, hey, we just want to lift one another up and not telling us to surrender and to repent. There's all types of false teachings out there in the church and outside of the church. And what Jesus wants us to get to here is, what are you listening to? What is forming you? Is it the truth of Jesus or is it, the counterfeit truths of the world. And he looks at those in the audience and he says, today, choose which truth you will believe. And then he says, there's two ways to build a house. On what level will you, or where will you place your your personal identity and foundation in life? And I don't have time to get into this this morning, but in this part of the world, it's very, very dry during the summer. The sand on top of the the soil, I think a lot of times when we hear this, especially when we were kids, we think of just like a beach sand. And, And duh, not a good idea. But the sand here in this part of the world actually during the summer gets very, very dry. It doesn't rain often. When it does, floods, flash floods will happen. 
But when it doesn't, the sand gets really hard and compact. It feels like rock. And, and you actually have to dig several feet into the ground to get to the bedrock, the foundation that's, that you can build your house on. But, but in life, we can, we can look at the gates and the paths. We can look at the truths and discern what we will believe, and that will determine what we build our life on. And we can look at the sand and go, it's really hard. Like, it looks really good. It looks easier. You know, others are doing it. Like, it just, it seems like this is what I want to do. It will do just fine. And, and I, you know, I'm just going to use this to pursue everything else. But this will be a good foundation for me. And Jesus says, when the floods come, when the rains come, which they will, and ultimately, every single one of us will face a final judgment. And, and listen to me, I don't want to lie to you this morning. I said I want all of us to walk out of here deeply thinking about where will I be? Who will I follow? What is true? Am I all in or am I out? That's what Jesus says in verses 21 to 23. And you will face a final judgment. You will face trials in life. And contrary to popular belief, when you get to heaven, you will not be faced with a mirror where you can just kind of go, I guess I'm good. I did better than most. But the living, perfect God you will stand before and you will either have surrendered to him and taken the narrow gate. You will either have believed in the things of the world or believed in his truth. You will either have built your life on the foundation of who he is or your life will be on the sand. And when the floods come in life, your hope will be swept away because you are living your life and finding your joy on circumstances. But if you build your life on the foundation, the floods will come in life, but they will not sway you because that is not where your joy and value you and worth and purpose is found. And when you meet Jesus one day, you will be with him for all of eternity and all things will be made new. And Jesus says, what foundation will you choose? He said these things and everyone there was astonished. They were amazed because it says he taught with authority like none of the scribes. Listen, have you ever heard something and maybe you like really liked it? It was like a light bulb for you. Or maybe you heard it and you like did not like it at all at first. But something in you knew that it was true. These are the words of Jesus. What will you do with them? <laughs> 